Welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast, where we speak with the people who are making an impact in tech, innovation, and design all over the world. This show is brought to you by the team at Naked Ambition. We are a design-led innovation company, partnering with some of the world's smartest companies to help them solve complex challenges and design new futures. I'm your host, Fiona Triarca. episode, we speak to Asha Tan, the co-founder and CEO of Coinjar, which is one of Australia's leading and longest running cryptocurrency exchanges and wallets. So in this episode, we discuss the evolution, some of the hype and the recent volatility around cryptocurrencies and what Asha thinks it might take for digital currencies to go mainstream in the not too distant future. He also covers the origin story of Coinjar, which is really interesting, talking about how he and the team managed to get ahead of the game and jumped in quite early as things were taking off. He also shares some of the techniques his team used to continue to innovate and staying creative to be able to provide the kinds of products and services, new coins, new features in this newly established and ever-changing industry. We really enjoyed recording this conversation and hope you enjoy listening too. So Asha Tan, welcome to the Naked Ambition podcast. It's so good to have you here. Thanks for having me. Cool. So how have things been for you and the Coinjar team over, it's probably been a pretty wild last 12 months, I would imagine, with everyone going pretty crazy over cryptos and coming right back into the spotlight. What's it been for you over there for the last 12 months? I mean, it's not surprising and not surprising at the same time. Uh, We've been doing this for eight years now. It was the company's eighth birthday uh, just last week. So uh, when we started, uh, the price of Bitcoin was just about $100. Mm -hmm. And there were talk that, you know, it was a bubble at that time. And I guess, you know, we were at the right place at the right time, saw it go up to 1000 come crashing down, another phenomenal rise to 20000 over the 17-18 period. And then it's been quietish until, I guess, maybe the, the later half of last year. Um, we've obviously, and I guess still now, you know, in May, still seeming to be in the swing of things of a, a full bull market. Tell us about how you were so early to the party, because eight years ago, was incredibly early when it came to even thinking, I mean, especially in Australia. So you were definitely one of the first to launch, if not the first wallet here in Australia. Yeah, I think there were a few of us who started just about the same time in 2013. Mm -hmm. So it was early to be a bit earlier. My co-founder, Ryan, was predated even that. And I think he sold his first Bitcoin company just before he turned 18. And that was uh, even earlier, I think in 2011, uh, 2012, yeah. So, um, yeah, I mean, I read first about Bitcoin online and as I was working as an analyst in Melbourne and reading these articles about, you know, Bitcoin in the early days and reading about uh, my co-founder eventually as well, Ryan, and his website that he made and which was attracting a lot of professional traders from from Goldman Sachs and JP Morgan. And he got a byline in the newspaper. So I I think that was my first inclination. And I, I read that and I was like, there's a, a guy who's, you know, five years younger than me, hardly out of high school, working on this new cryptocurrency thing. So I think that was like, uh, Ryan was maybe before me, but I think that was the first time uh, I really uh, thought, hey, hey, this might be something. Mm. How did you get in touch with Ryan? How did that relationship start? 
Yeah, I just stopped him online as you would do for a... <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I just messaged him on social media um, saying, hey, I read a story about you. I need to find out if it's true. So at that time, he just moved to Australia. And uh, so, you know, we met up and I asked him, did you really do that? And, you know, how did you build a, a company? And, you know, he, he told me, I guess, that he read a lot of uh, literature online about startups and it wasn't, you know, a fluke in the sense of, you know, I just had an idea which turned into a business. Um, he had some sort of methodology that, you know, he had read and gave me a lot of literature to go. And, you know, it was a Y Combinator program, which I guess, you know, yeah. the, probably the, the blueprint for, for many of the current uh, big unicorns around. So we have followed your progress at CoinJar really closely because I actually remember so clearly the first presentation I ever went to back at the Hub, back in the Hub really early days in Melbourne. I think you gave a presentation, might have been you and Ryan, about this thing called Bitcoin and the room was packed and it was packed with, I think, mostly very dubious people who were saying, what was this thing going to be? It's going to be this sort of huge bubble. And I just remember this amazing enthusiasm from both of you who were so, yeah, so confident that this was, yeah, it was really going to be something. So it's pretty impressive to make such a big bet on it back then. Yeah, I mean, the early days was, uh, you know, it was very community focused. It was quite grassroots. Yeah. Um, I think some people talk about how technology is adopted and sometimes, you know, it comes from the top, it comes from the military, uh, which sort of, you know, comes into everyday life. But I think uh, Bitcoin, it's very community focused. And I think that was, I guess, where we drew a bit of energy, meetups, uh, you know, talking in small groups about some of these ideas, which, you know, have made it what it is today. Mm. What are you seeing for the future, both you and Ryan? What do you think is the next sort of five years in crypto? Where do you want to take CoinJar? Yeah, I think if anything, uh, everyone asks, you know, are, are we mainstream yet and, and what does mainstream adoption look like? And if, if anything, uh, we're probably closer than, you know, we've ever been. I think people are still trying to understand where it fits in society. Is this a new type of money? Is this replacing the old financial system? Our government's going to get in, our bank's going to get in. But definitely it, it feels a lot more tangible than it did, I guess, eight years ago. So I think the products and the services we offer are going to change as you know, more people get into it. It's not an enthusiast, sort of a, a niche transaction system or payment system or investment system anymore. Mm -hmm. I guess it means a, a lot of different things to different people. Um, you've seen types of uh, NFTs, which seem to be the newest craze, how artists uh, are using tokens you know, to promote themselves. So I think we're still reimagining re how the next five years will go, but um, mm -hmm. it's probably not going to be quite like the last five. Mm -hmm. I've actually seen you talk a little bit about stable coins and that may be one of the bigger triggers to help cryptos go mainstream. What do you think about that now? Yeah, I think stable coins have been around for some time. I think that maybe the unsung hero of some of the crypto economy that make things work, you know, price fluctuations and are great sometimes for investment, but at sometimes you need a, a stable layer of, of finance and, and that's what stable coins bring. And I guess, you know, from those ideas, uh, you've seen governments try to adopt central bank digital currencies, you know, obviously slower moving than the rest of the internet, but you've seen private companies as well, uh, such as Facebook, you know, have a, a few goes at Libra or, or their own stable coin payment system, uh, mm -hmm. which has also, you know, face some setbacks but uh, i think if anything these uh, people are more sure they're on their way than ever before 
Yeah. Maybe just for anyone who's kind of new to this as well, do you want to explain stable coins and what they mean? Yeah, so um, I guess if you think of Bitcoin, which fluctuates wildly in price or other cryptocurrencies, uh, stable coins are pegged to a national currency, uh, usually the US dollar, but we've seen other types of stable coins as well. And what else do you think might be sort of some of those drivers or what would you like to even see happen in this area to make it a bit more mainstream? I think we still have to, uh, a lot to go in usability aspects of, of cryptocurrency. It's still quite cumbersome to use for most parts. Uh, it can be quite slow and there's quite a bit of user error. So, I mean, companies like us, that's where most of our focus goes into providing a service that, you know, makes it accessible to more people. And, you know, if you want to get to the next five years of consistent growth, then it's going to be a, a demographic who actually needs uh, better services. Um, I mean, there are some interesting aspects of Bitcoins, such as self-custody, where you can hold your own coins and you don't even have to trust a third-party company or intermediary. But most people don't use those uh, tools just because it's too hard to use. So I think we still have quite a lot to go to make that a reality. Such an interesting time for it as well. It's kind of switching gears a little bit to CoinJar more specifically. How do you guys make sort of design decisions about which features you bring in? You know, what do you prioritize? Because you started purely as a wallet. And then since then, over the last eight years, you've added a number of different features and obviously coins onto the platform. How do you make those decisions as a team? I wish I could give you a three-step process of how it works, but, you know, it's equal parts, I guess, intuition and chaos, I would say. <laughs> um, <laughs> I think um, unlike many other industries or, or markets, this cryptocurrency is still so brand new and it doesn't really have a template of how or what it should look like. You know, if you ask someone five years ago to think about the hottest, fastest growing currency in the world, no one would have thought a dog would be on the face of it. <laughs> yeah. right? So um, <laughs> I think it's still, we try and, uh, you know, we are users of our own product ourselves. You know, mm. we try to build for ourselves. I mean, it's not always the right answer, but I guess, you know, we like to build product. The, the team is all very hands-on, very product-driven and, and focused. So I think that's sort of our benchmark. You know, core company value is objectively better financial experiences. So I guess the litmus test for things we want to build for others and for ourselves is: Do we believe this is provably better? Is this better for our customers? Does that make them in a stronger financial position uh, with our tools or not? So um, I guess that's a sort of a, a north star. And so those, yeah, I think that's smart as well because it's being in an industry where things are so uncharted, it's, I imagine, quite difficult to look to, I mean, there's probably some competitors you can look to, but to look to, you know, what is that path, which path do I take, who do I learn from, which is something we talk a lot about, you know, in design or design, all good design is redesign. Mm -hmm. So I think for you it's, it's probably quite a unique situation. Can you tell us about the whole kind of meme coin movement a little bit? Because that's sort of something I think people have seen a lot of press about but don't know a lot about. And even I struggled. I do follow this quite a bit, but I really struggled to understand what were the big drivers behind some of those wild moves. Is it just purely everyone piling in and fear of missing out? Or what happened there with the dog coin? Dogecoin. Dodge Dogecoin. Dogecoin. <laughs> with a J, with a, with a 
Yeah, I mean, there is an element, as I said before, you know, these are community currencies. They are driven by communities. Some of these communities are like extremely speculative behavior. There's some element of uh, very wealthy holders trying to manipulate the market mm-hmm. as well. And it's a bit <laughs> Not about. Naming names. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but I guess that's what people are in for the right. It's not something where, you know, you have to use a currency because, you know, your government has mandated this is the national currency. It's it's a very opt-in thing. So I think we've seen people opt-in, you know, I think over the last year in the pandemic, you know, you've seen the share market increase as much of their meme coins, there are meme stocks as well Mm. right now. Um, And people are looking for ways to entertain themselves to a certain extent <laughs> to invest and to grow wealth in, in a time where things are seem quite uncertain and i think that's just a sort of expression of society mm-hmm. true currency right now so um, you know just like social media trends you know tiktok dances in this age um you know people have decided to say hey this is where i choose to invest in meme stocks and, and meme coins Again, not for everyone, not definitely Mm. for myself. I'm quite a conservative uh, portfolio Um, sort of person, but um, (laughs) yeah. That's so interesting, actually, Ash. I never thought about it like that, but that does make perfect sense. Just all these people sitting inside, you know, you're in lockdown, you've got more time to read, you're going to throw yourself into this and that, just that entertainment angle, which is you don't see that in other investment classes, I suppose, as much. There's probably a bit more bit more mucking around in the stock market these days but yeah not so much in other classes it's kind of interesting and main in you know the average joe as well having just a bit of a go because they're hearing all their friends talk about it at a dinner party like you said that social aspect yeah i mean we've seen this happen in in the last bull run Mm. as well prices may fall a bit people might get a bit quiet about it but i think definitely that the ways of using cryptocurrency and expressing yourself through cryptocurrency are definitely growing i think one of the first sort of uh hot debates in this community was is this a form of payment or is it a, a store of wealth Mm-hmm. And, you know, it became such a heated topic that the crypto community had a, a split in the early days with uh, Bitcoin splitting into, you know, forking into a, a different coin. And people are still asking those questions right now. And I guess one form of expression is commerce in cryptocurrency. But I think especially with this NFT movement and, and people, you know, tokenizing your art, selling your art pieces as tokens, uh, I think that's a, another sort of expression and, and use of, of crypto. Mm-hmm. And a really positive one as well. I mean, this is quite exciting, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, I'm just so surprised that the number of uh, mainstream artists who have decided that, uh, you know, they for some reason want to to be in this movement as well. You know, I recently bought a painting in crypto. You know, the artist says he's going to release more of his things in cryptocurrency. So both physical and digital artwork is is now being sold in, and you know, music as well. I mean, the NBA has... uh, right now nft trading cards with basketball you know like a mini video on it and mm-hmm. they're being traded for hundreds of thousands of dollars as well so i think there are you know ways that people are still expressing themselves through true cryptocurrencies yeah such a great way to put it as well can you explain forks to us yeah so um as I was alluding to the, the split in the Bitcoin community, I think one interesting aspect is, you know, Bitcoin is a 
experiment of like computation as money, right? And part of that is is code, and code is also open sourced in this case. So everyone can make their own other coin if they wish. There's no technological secrets for the most part in Bitcoin's design and architecture. And, and I guess that's why we've seen so many coins come up basically based on the same, at least initially on Bitcoin's infrastructure. Mm. So, you know, every time just like uh, open source code, when you decide to branch off and, and make some edits on your own, I guess that's a fork. And, you know, people have forked Bitcoin in different ways as well. But I think more interestingly is uh, when you see a fork, it also usually divides a community in some way. So when you fork a code, you're not only just making some changes to how you say this thing should run, but the community will also say, hey, I like this change or I don't like this change because this benefits me or doesn't benefit me. And so I'm going to, to follow this new line of gospel, if you will. Yes. So how does someone who's probably like a passive Bitcoin owner and you owned it pre-fork, which tranche of the fork do you now own? Uh, that's a that good question. question. I, <laughs> like, yeah. how do I know? Yeah, how do you know what camp you're in if you never consciously yeah. or actively chose? In some cases, did I just? In some fork? cases, if um, the fork is non-contentious, as in uh, both parties sort of quietly agree to go their own way in a positive way, you might have two sets of coin right now. Mm. In some cases, that's not always possible depending on how you held the coin or what the risks in the network, if there is some contention. But yeah, there are cases where you have two coins and there's cases where you only can have one coin on each chain. How interesting. How do you guys deal with that from a tech perspective? Does, is there anything that you have to do at CoinJar when people have that? Yeah, I mean, like... Uh, yeah, is that messy? <laughs> we don't, really don't support too many forks because yeah. it's just there is some sort of technical risk in doing that you know we encourage users to you know self-custody if they have the expertise to do so Mm. and you know benefit from some of these changes in the network but there are all kinds of weird and wonderful things in this such as airdrops which are you know free money that lands in your wallet uh, which unless you have a, a special setup to receive these coins it's not always possible so we try and give as much of that benefit to our users as possible. But, um, you know, I think going back to, to why we exist, it's this uh, objectively better. Sometimes you have trade-offs. For instance, we just have a limited number of coins on a website, mm. which is not what everybody wants. You know, some people want the most speculative, you know, top 500 coin or, or whatever. I, I guess we don't feel that that's the, the best product or the best uh, benefit to our users so you know i think that there are trade-offs to be made as well Mm. must be tempting sometimes you're getting overwhelming requests for because dogecoin's definitely not one that you're that you're carrying is it hard sometimes when your customers are screaming for something and or are they i don't know what how does that yeah i mean like um i think everything's just to be considered I, i think we have an open mind I think it's, you know, uh, can we add an asset in a way that's safe for our platform? Mm-hmm. Is this asset have longevity or a community that's not going to disappear overnight and maybe lose the trust? I mean, uh, founder of Dogecoin is actually an Australian who sold all his Dogecoin and says he never wants <laughs> anything to do with it in the early days. So, um, wow. Uh, yeah, so, uh, you know, I, I think that's... <laughs> The community has obviously carried on, but I think there's all things to consider when when adding 
new assets to our platform. Mm. We've got a pretty decent history, Aussie innovators, don't we, when you think about some it being early days and in the crypto sphere? Yeah, I think especially in Australia, we've had quite a few uh, crypto successes, Sung mm. or Unsung. I think, you know, there is per capita, Australia definitely punches above its weight in crypto adoption. Mm-hmm. Um, the best reason I could give for that is probably, um, you know, we've got fairly good tech literacy in, in the country. We also have a, a slightly higher propensity for risk in the country as well. Mm-hmm. Incomes are, are slightly higher than I think most other places as well. I think which, you know, gave rise to everyone being having the chance to be a bit more experimental uh, on, on what they want to do with, with their money. So, yeah, I think there are quite a few Australians and Australian-founded projects mm. which are in, in the crypto sphere, but maybe not all of them are Australian-based or exclusively Australian anymore. Mm. I mean, you're not, so you're over in London now as well, and you moved to London a few years ago to found Coinjar over there. How do you find the difference between the UK and Australian scenes when it comes to crypto or even just tech and entrepreneurship in general? I think startups are being built all over the world right now. I mean, I think London has, is, was traditionally the home of fintech. Um, I think that's what really, uh, you know, drew us here. All kinds of things have changed since. We've got Brexit, you know, fintech is growing at different speeds. I think in Australia, we've got some standouts in the industry, the buy now, pay later scene uh, with Afterpay and Zip Money. Neobanks seem to, you know, be the UK's strength. Uh, we've got Monzo and Starling here. So uh, I guess, you know, as a market, there are similarities, I think, uh, in terms of, you know, the, the use of the language. Uh, I guess the demographics are, you know, more or less the same. Um, but it's also a much larger market as well and i think that's what we're starting to find and you know i think the propensity for growth here is very high if you can get across i mean there's a lot more competition but i think the market definitely is something that we have come to enjoy i guess it's a lot just more of everything here so i think even for our user acquisition uh, we're finding it's a lot cheaper in the uk to acquire new users than it is in australia just because it's getting a bit crowded with many crypto operators around what is your vision for Coinjar? Where do you want to take things in the next few years? Uh, I think just going back to why we're here, you know, this is objectively better financial experiences. And I think um, right now it's squarely in the investment space. I think that's where most people are benefiting from Coinjar. I think there are different aspects of digital currency that can be interpreted in this. Lending and borrowing is a, a big segment that's growing. How do you offer credit to users, not through a, a traditional system, but through a sort of a decentralized system? At the end of the day, there needs to be uh, some sort of uh, entity to deliver that services to users. Mm. Um, I, I think the dream is to be completely decentralized, but right now you still need a company. And, you know, I hope that's us where we can sort of, you know, transfer all the benefits of this, this decentralized economy, mm. put it into a very easy to use way and, you know, deliver that to our users. So, you know, we've seen some, as you uh, mentioned earlier, some of our features, we've got a debit card uh, that helps users spend cryptocurrency. Uh, we've got a, a wallet as we call a digital currency account to, to send and receive. And, you know, we're looking at more, you know, investment specific types of services for cryptocurrency. And also, I guess, you know, 
also you know lending and borrowing or interest bearing as well which i guess it's you know called staking yeah maybe shorting some cryptos as well i wonder i was thinking the other day actually looking on your site i thought that is quite clever i hadn't seen it anywhere else so i don't know if you'd come up with it or it was somewhere but the idea of sort of smaller coin funds so bundling them up so you could buy small bundles of particular types of coins yeah is that something that you guys came up with or something you adopted from somewhere else yeah i think inspiration came from uh, we started a, a managed investment scheme in australia at one time wasn't very popular but i think uh true that we we did a lot of research into how to you know cheaply hold a portfolio or a basket of cryptocurrencies mm. and, and how to track the price movements and i, I think you know that sort of ended into a, a more retail friendly approach of, of coin share bundles so um uh, CoinJar bundles are a collection of cryptocurrencies that, that we've made and you can either put a one-time deposit in or a recurring uh, payment in. So um, as like a dollar cost averaging, if you want to put, you know, $10 of your pay every couple of weeks uh, into cryptocurrency, that's a great way for you to sort of uh, smooth out the, the volatility and at the same time invest in, I guess, the select few cryptocurrencies that we believe, you know, have good characteristics that, that let them sit well in a bundle. Mm. Super smart. I mean, it's just sort of mirroring a lot of equities products as well, isn't it? And it just makes it a lot more accessible for less sophisticated investors to be able to come in with confidence, as you said, some of the more reliable cryptos out there. Very clever. Yeah. Now there are so many cryptocurrencies that to, to choose from and to, to, you know, try and fit, get your head around. So mm-hmm. I think, you know, having some sort of a clear grouping helps, you know, just balancing your portfolio. Mm, so cool. I just have a, sort of one more area I'd love to get into, which is sort of other technology that maybe you see or you think might be coming. It might even be just more blockchain related. Is, is there anything that you as a team are watching or um, that you think might be coming down the line as there is a more, as we see, blockchain being more widely adopted or cryptos becoming more mainstream what are sort of things to watch do you think well yeah i think uh, that the lending and borrowing is still it's coming up right now uh people are starting to earn interest on their cryptocurrencies and um especially being in in this part of the world where you know interest rates can be negative sometimes i think that's a weird way that the world works you know you store money it loses value you know, I think some of these uh, interest-bearing products are becoming more interesting in a world where inflation seems to be increasing. You're not sure where you want to put your money. So I think like staking and also um, crypto loans, probably the next thing which we see make an impact. Mm. Cool. And Fiona, what's your experience so far with cryptocurrency? Have you dabbled since you know the, the first time you heard about it? Yes. Well, you encouraged me to purchase one coin, which I did back in 2014. And then I forgot about it for a very long time. And then in 2018, when that spike happened, my brother and I, who was at the talk with me, actually, he and I started to play around with a couple of kind of arbitrage opportunities that were happening between some of the sites, just because the Mm -hmm. price obviously being unpegged was so 
was fluctuating so much that he'd identified some of these ARB opportunities. So we were kind of playing with that a little bit and there was Litecoin at the time had just come up and Ripple had just had a spike. So we got in, I think it went up around that time and then it came right off a cliff. (laughs) So I'm pretty sure I bought in at Ripple at the absolute peak that it was back then. <laughs> so it's a really great experience with Bitcoin and then a terrible experience with Ripple, but again, held on and that's kind of seen a little bit of recovery. So I haven't been super active, but it just, it absolutely fascinates me. So my background is in equities. Like when I started Naked, it was working in over in London in the equity markets. And I just see so many parallels. So it's so interesting to hear what you're talking about in terms of innovation within the crypto sphere because there are so many parallels between equity products and I think cryptos as well and notwithstanding the fact that they seem to be quite closely correlated in terms of some of the moves you know mm-hmm. the the types of market psychology and things that you see when people are piling in and you know when they're bearish or bullish or all of the things in between so I mean this has just inspired me even more I think to get more into it because it's I find it bizarre that people don't actually believe in large-scale adoption. I think it makes perfect sense, I think, given, you know, any kind of arguments against it that are talking about, you know, it not being as safe as really, you know, the basic kind of commodities or gold or any of these sorts of things is kind of just mad because nothing is normal anymore. You know, technology, as they say, is indistinguishable from magic. So why do we think that, you know, it's bizarre that certain things like cryptos have value when I think they make more sense than mainstream currencies in a lot of countries these days. Yeah, I think one of the narratives that, you know, when we first started was, do you think you are too early, you know, are you too early for for this? And is it too early, too late? I think it's never too early. Um, You know, if you think about the internet, I think recently I've been thinking quite a bit about the dot-com boom era. And I think both in terms of investing, of how, you know, a lot of people were into retail investing at that time. And sure, there was a come off for a bit and it took some time, but I mean, 20 years later, I mean, the internet's definitely lived up to all the potential. Um, But but obviously it's been, it's taken some time to get here. Mm -hmm. Um, So yeah, I don't think we're, if anything, you know, still quite early, but not too early. <laughs> Never yeah, too early. So true. What is your, I don't know, you probably will get a bit reluctant talking about this, I guess, for it to be seen as some kind of financial advice, but with all the disclaimers in there, what do you think is the most promising coin out there at the moment? If there's someone who's listening and they're like, do you know what, Ash has actually just inspired me, I'm going to get it now, I've been sitting I think, I think all the coins on our platform, we've got about, I think, 25 at this time have potential i think it's it's really hard to say i guess in terms if you think about price the smaller ones always have the most to gain mm. but i guess you know not everyone does this for for the largest price appreciation so uh, i think especially with some of these new uh products like staking where you know you're saying well do i look for price appreciation or do i want a, a constant sort of a dividend style investment return right so mm. um you know sometimes you would have to stake a coin and you know for that you might have to give up 
price increases as well. Mm. So I think that there are different dynamics now. It's not just, you know, which one can can moon rocket. I think there is still <laughs> an element of that and there will be a constant in that. But I think that the game is more more nuanced now. You know, people mm. talk about the same way you were going arbitraging between exchanges. Um, you know, people do yield farming as well, being able to borrow crypto on one end and invested on the other end as well, right? So um, yeah. depending on how sophisticated you are as, I guess, an investor yeah. or how much risk you want to take on, I guess that there are a few options right now. I mean, I'm not a, a huge crypto investor or, <laughs> or a speculator myself. I think so I'm a more, I guess, company builder. Yes, slow and steady. I think that's smart anyway when you've been in there. I feel like we might need a little glossary underneath this podcast as well, just when you're saying yield farming then. <laughs> that's another one that I haven't heard, which is so interesting. And staking as well. Yeah, I mean, it makes sense. As many financial products as there are, you know, people are going to come up with. And just like other financial markets, I guess people are moving so quickly, playing around with different structures and different ways of cutting things. It's going to take a long time for probably the rest of definitely regulators and these other people to catch up, I think, which is always the case in financials. So it's interesting. Yeah. In the UK here, I mean, we're still waiting for our crypto asset registration. So the FCA has come up with a, a new a ruling saying that all crypto companies in the UK have to be on this register. So still waiting for that. They've you know, made a deadline of it was supposed to be the end of last year, but I think that's mm. overwhelming response. So they gave everyone a six month extension. So I think hopefully by the middle of this year, we would, should be have this authorization in the UK, which is something Australia probably will adopt in the future, but doesn't quite have yet. So what does that mean? That means that you could that there's sort of more complex products and things that everyone can begin to offer. Is that what that's? Yeah, about? I guess it just you know shows that which crypto companies are legitimate and, and which not. And I think yeah. there's you know a certain element of well, the government does want to regulate this behavior <laughs> to a certain extent. It might not be possible, but you know there's consumer protection to think about. You know that there are there are risks in the financial system, and I guess. Cryptocurrency and cryptocurrency companies are becoming a much larger part of, of the economy, yeah, whether people choose to believe it or not. I think, mm-hmm. um, you know, the larger ones have received banking charters, you know, in the US and hold assets which rival some new banks. And, you know, even for us, I think for our size, um, we've got a few hundred thousand users. The assets under management for us and some other cryptocurrency companies would easily rival some uh, Australian neo banks as well. Mm. That will be interesting to see. That could be another, I guess, a good signal, a big bellwether for the whole industry itself, isn't it? Once regulators start taking things a lot more seriously, does it make things harder, or is it actually? Are you welcoming more of that? Is that then that kind of sorts out the junk, I guess, from the people who are serious <laughs> yeah. from the other? Yeah, I mean, I think the way we've built our company has always been, you know, in the regulated space. So I think it's par for the course. I mean, if anything, I would wish it move a bit faster just because, you know, it's sort of inevitable for us. You know, there are some sort of crypto companies who can operate just, you know, in the crypto sphere. But I think more and more we're seeing, you know, at some point, you know, regulation is is catching up with with everyone if you need access to direct access to the existing financial system. They just expect you to play by the same rules. Yeah. 
Thank you so much for your time this morning. Okay. Thanks, Fiona. I know it's an early morning. But, um, yeah, (laughs) thanks for having me.